And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the incomparable Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Vincent Price stars in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense from 1943. But first, it's Name That Tune. Lisa Wolf Cohen will play short clips from popular Rod Stewart songs. And a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named David and I will try to name that tune. Right, Lisa? That's right. We have David on the phone right now from Norwich, Illinois. Hi, David. Hey, David. Hey, Carl. Hey, Lisa. Have, happy New Year. Happy New happy Year, David. Happy New Year. So glad to hear from you. We've yeah. got a little uh, Rod Stewart, and we've got songs from the 70s, 80s, and 90s represented here. So Rod a nice band Stewart. of music. Are you a fan, David? Uh, somewhat. Well, you know, for the next 10 minutes, we'll say yes. How's that? Rod, I was eating, cool. uh, I was eating um, lunch in Los Angeles, and Rod Stewart walked past me. Do you think he knew who I was? Oh, I'm sure. Who doesn't? Dave, what do you think? Think well, he was of like course. I think mean, he was like, wow, that's Carl Amari. Yeah. He eminent, was probably too embarrassed to come up to radio, you. Uh, host. Radio uh 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 host. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was Rod Stewart. He was probably scared to come up to you. I mean, you're probably. very intimidating. You know what? I will sign autographs for people sure. when having lunch. I'll stop. <laughs> I'm sure and take right, a photo. Right, David? I would do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you know, you're very magnanimous. Yeah, thanks. He missed his opportunity to meet me. I agree. You know? Right. He blew it. All right. Here we go. All right. So I'm going to play a clip from a Rod Stewart song. And as soon as you know the title of the song. Would you shout it? Shout it out. The first song is from 1978. Do you think I'm sexy? Do you think I'm sexy? Carl beat you to the punch on that one. That is right. Do you think I'm sexy? David. From the 78 album Blondes Have More Fun. And royalties from the song were donated so. to UNICEF. I don't think unicef. blondes have more fun. Well, wouldn't you know? I mean, how I do you know. know? If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, sugar, let Is me know. Is that your know. anthem, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you sound just like him. I know, I know. That's Thank good, you, David. Carl. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to move to the next one. All right. 1971. Maggie May. Yes. All right, Maggie May is right. It was written by Rod Stewart on his album, Every Picture Tells a Story. And Rolling Stone ranked it number 131 on its list of 500 greatest songs of all time. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's a good one. Anymore. He never let me tour with him, though. You I don't know? understand why. I don't know. He was jealous. Well, when I tour, I'll... Um, ask you Would if you'd you? like to join. David, he must have been jealous, right? 
Wow, did you dye your hair blonde so no, you could match them? I should have. Right. Get a, get a kind of wild haircut, too. exactly alike then, you know? You do have a similarity. All right. All right, we're one, the next song, one apiece. One apiece. Next song is a little slower. Mm. Okay, changing gears here. Okay. 90, 1993. You feel my heart with gladness. Take away all my sadness. Ease my troubles, that's what you do. Ah. Have I told you lately that yes. I love you? You got it. The no, you time. haven't. You haven't said that lately, David. All right, we're waiting, David. David's got another one there. <laughs> Written and recorded by Van Morrison in 1989, but in 93, Rod Stewart's version targeted number five. Wow. Take away all my <laughs> Take away all my sadness. That's what you do. All right, we've got two for David. David here. is on the board, two to, two to one. All right. Next song is going back to 1977. He's so great. Stay away from my window. <laughs> Tonight's the night. Yes. Oh my gosh, oh, you're so man, good. I love this song. David, I wish you could see Carly just squints his eyes and he's thinking so hard. He's trying. Tonight's the night. I love uh, this song. It's a great one. Uh, written by Tonight's Rod Stewart. Tonight's the night. Relax. 1976 album, A Night on the Town. Oh, I love this song. Number one. The video's song. pretty hot, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Kick off your shoes and sit right down. Let me. Are you mouthing the words here? I mean, just let me loosen up that pretty French gown. Oh, Carl, you know this one. Let me pour you a good long drink. Carl, you're gonna be okay for the rest of the show. Don't you hesitate because tonight's the night. Wow. It's going to be all right Because I love you, girl Ain't nobody going to stop us now All right. All right. David's got, what, three? Three. Holy moly, Batman. All right. You ready for the next one? (laughs) 1977. Okay. I didn't know what day it was. You're in my heart. You're in my soul. Oh my God! David said he was. What? How do you? How do you know? He he said, "I I, I know a little bit about it." Holding back on us. Four to one. Written and recorded by Rod Stewart from a '77 album, Footloose and Fancy Free, number four on the charts. Wow. David, you are. I guess. I guess I liked his songs more than I realized. Right. You know, you're a really good steward of his songs. That makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> Lisa's just shaking. That's on a Dixie Riddle cup. <laughs> yeah, it's about where it belongs. <laughs> Does David have five or four? He has uh, one, two, he has four. I don't no think it one. matters because I don't think it I can win matter. no matter no, what. No, there's one more to go. Oh, yeah, I have this no chance. This is a chance. great song. Okay. All right, David, I'm counting on you for this last song. I started Top out it strong. Off. I started out strong. Well, just that was because do you think I'm sexy? I well, mean, yeah. you know. The Carlism. Yeah. Okay. I don't know it. David, I'll get it. Is it Young Turk? No. Um, Some guys have all the luck. Yes, he's got it. That's right. Some guys have all the luck. Some guys have all the 
So this was a top hit on the Billboard twice. First by the Persuaders in 73, and then Rod Stewart in 84 hit number 10. All the love. Some guys have all the breaks. Some guys have all the Oh. <laughs> so close. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. David uh, just... Uh, just what, Carl? He, just, he, he, he can't even speak, David. He, he crushed it. Yes, he crushed David you. crushed it. He crushed you, Carl. Oh, my gosh, David. I, I guess some guys have all the luck. Yeah. Ain't it the truth? You're, Although this you're right. is no luck. This is skill, so I'm going to give it to you. Great job, buddy. <laughs> wow. Way to go. Wow. Um, I'm going to send you a four-CD set, Twilight Zone Radio Dramas, for playing the game because you're awesome, buddy. Awesome. Not, I'm looking forward to it. All right, I'll send it off. Happy New Year. Thanks so much, all right? To the both of you. Great being on with you. All right, Thank buddy. Thank you. Way to go. You're terrific. When we come back, we're going to tune in to Suspense, starring Vincent Price. So stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. I just love Rod Stewart. I just think he's so good. Just brush up on his songs a bit, maybe. You brush your teeth. <laughs> you brush. Please, it's a small studio. <laughs> Very Don't brush small. your teeth. How many feet away from each other um, are we? Not enough. Right. That's what I say. It's really hard. I would hard. say we're three feet away. It's not enough. No, it's not. I mean, nobody else has been able to sit across from you all these years. Lisa takes a shower once a week, whether she needs to or not. How do you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> and then she comes to the studio and and what what nothing 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 yeah you're getting uh, but, ahead of yourself but getting back to rod stewart i just love him i mean i would see him in concert mm-hmm. does he tour still i don't know he's almost 80 yeah he's 78 years he might, old i don't know that's a pretty if he rigorous, came to uh, town i would see him to town, sure. i'm sure he'd call you up and let well, you know yeah, i mean yeah i mean no, you'd be on VIP, the stage with him for sure VIP tickets sure so Vincent Price appeared on Suspense uh, many times. This is his very first appearance on uh, one of the greatest mystery shows of the golden age of radio, if not the greatest. Suspense was on the air from 1942 all the way to 1962. This is a 1943 broadcast with uh, Vincent Price starring. It's called The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein. And you're going to hear uh, Joseph Kearns as the man in black, the narrator. This is um, kind of a war, you know, like a war mystery story. An allied spy undercover in Berlin feels the noose of discovery slowly tightening. Mm, Hans Conried's in this, too. Here's part one now of a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Suspense. This is the man in black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our Hollywood cast tonight is the distinguished American actor, the star of the Broadway suspense drama, Angel Street, who has recently returned to this coast to resume his film career, Mr. Vincent Price. Tonight's suspense play, which presents Mr. Price, 
and which is produced and directed by William Spear, relates an episode of recent years in the unfriendly Nazi capital of Berlin. The strange death of Charles Umberstein by E. Jack Newman is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so, with the strange death of Charles Umberstein, and with the performance of Vincent Price, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! I was infuriated to think I had been trapped. The thought that someone had discovered my intentions maddened me to the breaking point. Nothing had slipped. Everything had run smoothly as I had planned. No evidence, not the slightest trace. Nothing. And yet, I was trapped. Trapped. But why? How? Let me see. Papers in my briefcase. Train ticket. Information forwarded safely to my office. And he knew. How? 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 But he did know. I stood quietly in my room watching him. Watching him watching me waiting for me, standing by the lamppost beneath my window, knowing, knowing he had trapped me, waiting for me. I recognized him almost immediately, Captain von Heinz. Once before, I had seen him briefly in Herr Miller's office. I had been working on some corrections. Herr Miller was escorting him through the plant on an inspection tour. They stopped for a moment outside my office. I glanced up as Herr Miller gestured my way through the partially open door. Well, here it was. They were talking about me. My heart stopped. He was explaining how I had been recommended by the Fuhrer himself, my qualification. They continued on their tour. Herr Miller explained later when I went to his office. Aha, Umberstein, there you are. Herr Miller, you sent for me? Yes, Umberstein. This morning, when Captain von Heinz and myself passed by your office, I knew it was you. You knew it was me? Yeah. Captain von Heinz is head of Gestapo intelligence in this area. He was conducting a routine inspection this morning, and it was he who suggested that... What? I... Well, what? since your recommendations were by the Führer himself... And... Yes, your work here has been excellent. I knew you were the man when I passed by today. My work? Huh? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 of course, not that. Uh, why, you have become one of our best men. Oh, thank you, Herr Müller. No, this is it. Yes, Herr Müller. Through various posts, we are releasing more prints on munitions areas in this country uh, and other countries. You are to be in complete charge of their release from the wall. I understand, Herr Miller. As a citizen of the Reich, I am greatly honored that I have been given such an opportunity. An opportunity to show your loyalty. And honor. I will give you the combinations. You will see that no other person enters the wall. Of course, Herr Miller. Uh, one moment, Umberstein. Yes? I think I should tell you that a few months ago, in one of the neighboring plants, the Gestapo apprehended a spy. Yes? 
He was working for an enemy espionage service, found in possession of certain vital documents which he had access to in his work. And uh, what did they learn from him? Many things. He was reluctant to speak at first, but it's difficult to hold out indefinitely. <laughs> well, he finally gave them enough information to locate other agents who had filtered in. It was well he was detected. Oh, yes. The uh, Gestapo is still on the alert for some of his co-workers, still expected to arrive. Of course, they are ignorant of his confession and his fate. So, Herr Umberstein, I must warn you to take all the necessary steps against the possibility of espionage. We cannot be too careful. I shall be careful. In you, Umberstein, is exemplified the efficiency of the Third Reich. my suitcase and looked down on the street. I watched him standing there. I kept asking myself, how, 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 how could he know? This Captain von Hein, how could he know? The plan was perfect, the best yet, and yet I was discovered, trapped. It was a late Saturday afternoon, and the silence of the day hung heavy in the room. Outside it was cold, very cold, but in my room it was warm, stuffy. The radiator hissed and spewed as though it were the judge of the events to come. I was almost angry at it. A radiator. It was still light enough that he might see me if I crossed to raise the window. He wasn't aware that I was in the room. I hadn't turned on the lights. Now he stood there, waiting for me to return. <laughs> I lay down on the bed, smoking. My thoughts troubled by the one question, how? How? How had he discovered me? Safely, I had avoided all connections with anyone who might have a chance to spy on my work. There was not the least cause for suspicion. An established citizen of the right, well-recommended, pure Aryan, employed as an architect in one of the country's largest munitions plants, certainly there was no reason for him to suspect me, the Gestapo, this Captain von Hind, waiting to take me. Fräulein Keller. Fräulein Keller. Absurd. Oh, of course not. Not she. But could you ever trust a woman? Fräulein Keller. Did I give her any reason? Any reason at all? Good morning, Fräulein. Oh, good morning. My name is Charles Umberstein, and I am to be at the munitions factory near here. I wish to take a room. Oh? One facing the outer street, Fräulein. If you can accommodate me. Oh, I think so. We have one which is on the second floor. Overlooks the street corner. Oh, fine. I'm glad. It, it looks comfortable here. Small and comfortable. Oh, yes. You will like it, I'm sure. Uh, I am the owner and manager here. Fräulein. Uh, sign here, please. Yes, of course. There you are. Oh, thank you. Otto! Would you show Herr Umberstein to his room? Yes? Yes, who is it? It's I, Fräulein Keller. Oh, just a moment. Yes, Fräulein? I 
I have brought you some extra blankets. Oh. You may be cold. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you, Fräulein. And uh, Herr Umberstein, down the street, a little cafe. You may find nice meals and a little music, too. Oh, wonderful. I am indebted to you, Fräulein. Oh, but you are my charge. I look after my guests. It is my job. Oh, that is most kind, Fräulein. Uh, Herr Umberstein, yes. I, I also dine at a little cafe often. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, to you, Fräulein, oh, for yes. your wonderful hospitality. Oh, to you, Herr Umberstein. <laughs> oh, Fräulein, it's oh. growing late. I must be off. I have a great many things to do tomorrow. Oh, and so do I. Oh, it has been a wonderful evening. Wonderful. Yes, wonderful. Here's your coat. It's growing colder now, isn't it? Oh, yes, the winter will be here soon. Too soon. Yes, but I won't be... Eh? Uh, you won't be? Oh, nothing, Fräulein, nothing. You will be here long. Certainly, Fräulein, certainly. I was just uh, wishing. Oh, wishing? For what? No, I had done it. I had started to thinking. Perhaps she could... For what? Oh, nothing, Fräulein, nothing important. Only the hopes of every man. They become so near sometimes. They're almost reality. So? What else could I do? I had to lead her thoughts away somehow. She took the lead. You... Mean a woman? Yes. Yes, Fräulein, you. Oh, but we have known each other for such a short time. Only two weeks. That's I... true, but I've been aware of you for a longer time, though I've just met you. Oh, oh, Herr Umberstein, I... Charles. Oh, Charles? First, I was uneasy about the whole affair. And after a while, I, I did grow rather fond of her. She was so accommodating, and we dined together each evening, and I, I played my role to the letter. Never once did she mention my work. Oh. Fräulein Keller, what are you doing in my room? Well, I was... I, Anna, I was... You've been looking through my papers. Why? I was looking for something. But what right have you? What are you looking for? I was... Well, I well, was looking for a letter. For? A letter? What letter? One that you haven't got. I thought perhaps you might have it. Now, out with it. A letter from a woman. Very well, Charles, if you must know, I, I suspect you have not been guilty. She I was can't... actually looking for a letter from some woman. Any woman. She didn't trust me. She didn't trust her child. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a very evil laugh there. Ha, 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 ha. Yours is not so bad yourself. <laughs> That's Vincent Price in uh, The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Vincent Price's first appearance on Suspense, November 23rd, 1943. Did this even have a sponsor at this time? No, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't even have Roma Wines was not a sponsor yet. Oh, what would you have done? Without, I don't. I don't know. You would have been. What you would have been like? I gotta have some wine. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, know, I maybe, see you. You brought a couple of bottles of Roma with well, you. Well, I have to sit across the, the, the <laughs> you know the console from you. Here. I know. We'll be right back. I'm still there. Oh! 
If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. You think about it, Suspense was uh, probably the the greatest show ever on radio. I mean, you know, they did the best mystery and detective stories. Vincent Price, Orson Welles, you know, Gregory Pack, you name it. Cary Grant. They, they were all on Suspense. Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Edward G. Robinson. I mean, you name you know, talented uh, Hollywood stars, they were on suspense. And here's a whole year was on the air with no sponsor. Started in 1942. This is already November of 1943. Right. And um, so it was airing every week without a sponsor. The network was paying. Right. Why it, do you, you think? Know, they must have believed in it. They must right. have felt, you know, no, hey. I mean, why do you think it, uh, no sponsor oh, was I don't know. Available? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You know, this was... Obviously, one of the top shows right. on radio, even in 1943. I mean, pretty soon after this broadcast, they um, they signed Roma Wines right. to sponsor them. And then Autolite for years was the sponsor. We're listening to The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein. Star, it's fun to say. I, I can kind of fun that to up from Umberstein. You. Stein. Yeah, Stein. Uh, Vincent Price in his first uh, episode of Suspense. Let's get back to it right now. <laughs> no. No, it couldn't have been Fräulein Keller. Who then could it have been? I walked over to the window and looked down at the figure who so patiently kept his vigil there. Captain von Heinz, waiting. Why? There had been something wrong with the passport, but no, that was perfect, not the passport. All passengers will report to the train master for passport examination. Yeah, all in order. All you can take your luggage to Berlin. Yeah, this way. Next. Next. Here you are. Name? Charles Umberstein. Residence? Berlin. Nationality? German. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All in order. Picture, luggage, all in order. Thank you, train master. You must be careful, you know. Uh, when may I catch my train for Berlin? It should be by any moment. Next. As I stood there in the shadows waiting for my train, I, I examined my passport again as I had done a hundred times before. No one would have any reason to doubt anything so genuine as that. Our passengers for Berlin! Our passengers for Berlin! Guard! Guard, must we stand passport inspection again? Uh, yeah. Army intelligence will accommodate you on the train. Yeah, Bull. Three stops, my passport was inspected. A good test? 
If the passport had been suspected or investigated, it would only prove that I was Charles Umberstein. I had come by the passport through Hans. At the time, Hans was employed as an Austrian customs inspector. This gave him access to many such passports. According to Hans, there had been a person named Charles Umberstein who had suddenly disappeared in 1936. Since there had been no friends or relatives to make an inquest, well, you can see. No. No, I was Charles Umberstein. Why, I even resembled the badly scarred photograph on the identification card. From the front view, he was evidently a large man, big shoulders, large head, wore a short Prussian haircut. Yes, I certainly looked enough like the photograph. Passport was flawless. He couldn't have discovered me through that, this von Hind. Something else. What else? The plans? No, 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 of course not. They couldn't have discovered that. I merely made copies and left the originals. No, 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 not the plans. Why, Hans and I... Hans. Oh, no, no, not Hans. Never. We'd worked so well together. Oh, no, no, not Hans. A strange, silent boy, perhaps, but surely... That night in 1936, when he gave me the passport, he was our man in Austria, but... Strange things happen, even to the most loyal. All set, Charles. Then I will not see you again, Hans. Until? Until I arrive, eh? I will be attached to an army ordnance division of the city. You will receive additional information on the first day of each month. From you? Yes. There's a hotel not far from the factory. Here is the address. Foreign Keller, Hans's hotel. Now, on the second floor in one corner sits a mahogany table. On it are a set of silver candlesticks. Four of them. Beneath the candlestick nearest the right. You may find your information on the first day of each month. It will be written in code? Naturally. Be very careful when you pick it up. I see. And make no effort to conduct me in any other way. And can I leave anything I might learn in the same place? Is it safe? Yes. Now, remember, sooner or later we are bound to be introduced, you and I. My duties with the Ordnance Division will, of course... So near and yet so far kind of thing, eh? Yeah, very far. Once inside the city, I'm Oberleutnant Hans Neumann of Army Ordnance. Understand? I am Herr Charles Umberstein, architect. Right. Well, time grows short. I must go. Everything checked. Your passport? Perfect. I even resemble the photograph from the counselor, you think so? Yes, not bad. <laughs> very considerate of Umberstein to have looked this way. Tickets? Right here, through to Berlin. I report to Franz Miller in the munitions factory, produce my credentials. He's been expecting me. I haggle a little about the salary, then I accept. At first opportunity, become acquainted with MB plans. And I will see that you are highly recommended from a reliable source. Just as a matter of curiosity, Hans, who will recommend me? Oh, you needn't worry, Herr Umberstein. It'll be good, I assure you. And goodbye, Hans. Oberleutnant Neumann, if you please. Oberleutnant Hans Neumann. Well, then, my Herr Charles Umberstein, auf Wiedersehen, wie du siehst. Heil Hitler. <laughs> Heil Hitler. Yes, everything Hans had said came about. I picked up my information each month at the little hotel. I left an occasional report for Hans. It was the only way we ever communicated. And then, Oberleutnant Hans Neumann began to appear in Franz Müller's office... And eventually, Miller introduced us. In fact, Hans was with Miller quite frequently, and they dined together regularly. Hans played his part well. But one day, something was worrying him. I will wait here for you, Miller. I'll be with you in a moment. Ah, Elmerstein. 
It's good to see you again. Still right in the door, Mike. And Miller speaks very highly of your work here. Thank you. Be very careful of this Captain Von Hines. There's something wrong. I don't know what it is. He looks at me very strangely. And there is something I recognize about the man. The eyes oh, are... Yes, yes, yes. We were just chatting a moment. Uh, I've seen Von Hines somewhere before. Be very careful. And don't come with us in case they ask you. Well, well, well. You all ready? Why, yes, of course. Umberstein, uh, would you care to join us oh. at lunch? No, no, thank you. I, I have some work to do. Oh. Always working. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, let's go, Hans, yeah? Yeah, certainly. Oh, by the way, will Captain Von Hein be joining us today? Oh, Von Hein sends his regret. Something is delayed. Oh, that's too bad. Von Hein, a remarkable man. No one like him in the service. No one like him. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Von Hein. Such a brief warning. Curt and sinister. Hans was frightened. He would never have taken the chance to speak to me if he had not been frightened. Something that he recognized about von Heind. Saturday was the first of the month, and there was no information at the hotel. Hans didn't appear again to lunch with Herr Müller. Something was wrong. Something had happened to Hans. Today, I found out. Uh, we will enjoy ourselves today, eh, Umberstein? Yes, we should lunch together more often, you and I. I like good company when I eat. Good food, good company, good digestion, <laughs> This is a wonderful restaurant that we are going to. You know, they serve Norwegian smoked salmon. That is exquisite. And, and, and cheap, too. <laughs> Nothing like these new foods we are getting from Norway. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of Norwegian salmon. Uh, and this is the best. <laughs> you and Oberleitner Neumann dine here often, don't you? Hans Neumann. Yeah, we came here often, yeah. Hans Neumann will not come here for a long, long time again, I'm afraid. I, I don't understand. Yeah, uh, you don't. You remember Captain von Hein? Oh, oh, yes, the Gestapo man who was inspecting our factory a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, most efficient man. He has apparently been observing Hans Neumann for some time. Oh? Oberleutnant Neumann is being detained by Captain von Hein, no? Was he... He was a spy. A spy? How do you know? Von Hind arrests only spies. And von Hind never makes a mistake. The man is incredible. Was there something suspicious about Hans? There's something suspicious about everyone to von Hind. He himself asked me to cultivate Oberleutnant Neumann so that he could better observe his action. Yes, I, I noticed that you two lunch together very often. Uh, we lunch together at this very same restaurant you and I are going to now. That made it easy for von Hein. Easy? Uh, to study the man in leisure. Von Hein always wants to be certain of his quarry. And uh, where is Hans now? Who knows? Who knows what happens when Captain von Hein takes a man? Don't you admire such efficiency, Umberstein? Well, of course. Yeah, well, the captain did indicate that there were others to be rounded up, too. Well, here we are. Oh, look, look, you see them in the window? Norwegian salmon. Oh, they are beautiful, so red, so delicious. Are you hungry, Umberstein? What? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, they, they do look delicious. <laughs> Captain von Heint. I looked at him out of the window again. I could 
see his breath now. It was growing very cold. He was well-dressed in a neatly tailored overcoat and dark hat. It was too dark to tell the exact color. The only thing I was sure of were the hands and the gloves on the hands. Heavy, thick, powerfully mounted prongs encased in a gray, tightly fitting material. Style, lines running across the back. I noticed when he lifted them to light a cigarette. What beautiful weapons. His back was to me. I couldn't help but admire the fine breadth of his shoulders and the thick, closely barbered neck. He stood quietly by the lamppost, smoking, watching his breath and the smoke battle for existence in the icy air. Once when he turned to look up at my window, the single eyeglass he wore caught the reflection of the light. I wondered how much he weighed. Carefully, I retraced each step over again in my mind. I couldn't find the flaw that made me a marked man. The absurdly easy way I had gone through Mueller's office carrying an innocent-looking bundle of blueprints. Then to the vault, the super... the superstition of copies. No one could suspect what I had done. No one had any reason to. Why? Why, then, was I trapped? Of course he was after me waiting down there. I wondered why he didn't come up and wait in my room. Surely he didn't know I was in the room. Perhaps he had searched my room one day while I was out. But what could he find? Nothing, absolutely nothing. A passport proving I was Charles Umberstein. A monogram suitcase bearing the initials C.U. A few letters and old papers. Nothing, nothing at all. I had never talked. I had never known anyone else in service except Hans. Franz Müller was too stupid to suspect anything. Fräulein Keller? No. Passport, perfect. Only one other way. Only one other way could he possibly know. For an instant, the possible answer flashed through my brain. For a full five minutes, I watched him, watched him very discerningly. Could it be? Could it possibly be? The stillness of the street below was broken from time to time by the blare of an occasional horn and the rattle of armored cars carrying soldiers to different parts of the city. Turning from the window, I groped about in the darkness of my room, searching for the automatic I had concealed in the slit compartment of my traveling bag. When I found it, I tested the chamber. Yes, it was loaded. I jammed it in my coat pocket and putting on my hat, I stood there by the window watching him. He seemed very ominous, very assured, waiting for me. He must have been getting anxious with his long vigil. I watched him signal to an accomplice across the street, walking back and forth under the streetlight. I noticed something familiar. Very familiar. A bolt from off the bed, tied to a piece of cord attached to the light switch. Ah, near the radiator pipe, room enough to pass it through. The weighted end dragging the string to the lobby below. I picked up my suitcase and stepped out of the door. The hall was dark and quiet. I walked down the stairs. The lobby was empty, deserted. At the bottom of the stairs, I placed the suitcase by the door, and I crossed to the desk. Hastily, I jammed a few bills in an envelope and addressed it to Fräulein Keller. Now, as I picked up my suitcase, I could see him very plainly on the corner... He was only a few feet from the entrance. The cord with its weighted end had fallen just short of the door. I stood there quietly. He looked up at my room. I pulled the cord. 
He was startled when the light went on upstairs, searching the window for a view of the occupant. I walked to the door. As I opened it, he looked at me, looked my way, gazed at me, point blank, seemed surprised, and assuring himself, he took a step toward me. Herr Umberstein! Herr Umberstein! Oh, you are... You are Charles Umberstein? Why, yes, I... Charles Umberstein, who entered Germany in 1936 from Austria? Here's my passport. Your passport, yes. I have always wanted to meet you, Charles Umberstein. I have always wanted to meet you face to face. You know who I am? Why, yes, you are. <laughs> I wonder. You know the others I have had my men pick up. But you, I wanted to attend to personally. It's because you are Charles Unterstein. Now we will uh, just... I'm sorry, oh. my friend. <coughs> he sat down hard on the curb. He looked up at me, mumbled strangely, then fell over with his head in the gutter. His hat fell off and I saw that his hair was closely cropped. There were other people on the streets. I ran till I was out of breath. The next day, I picked up a Berlin paper on the railroad station. On the second page, I read the headline, Gestapo official murdered. Saturday, January 25th, Captain Charles von Heind, high-ranking official of the Gestapo intelligence service, was instantly killed last night by the bullets of an unknown assailant whom he was attempting to arrest on charges of espionage. Captain von Hind had been connected with the Gestapo since 1936. Prior to his affiliation with the Gestapo intelligence, he had been known by his real name, Charles Umberstein. His entry into such dangerous work made necessary a complete retirement from all public life the Reich will long honor the memory of Charles Umberstein. I wired flowers from Geneva with a card marked Sympathy, signed C.U. And so closes the strange death of Charles Umberstein by E. Jack Newman, starring Vincent Price. Tonight's tale of suspense. Vincent Price will soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Song of Bernadette. The producer and director of suspense is William Spear. Music was composed by Lucian Marowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. This is the man in black who would like to draw your attention to the new day in time for suspense beginning next week, when Cary Grant will be our star. Beginning next week, listeners in the Eastern and Central time zones will hear Suspense on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Wartime and 7 p.m. Central Wartime. Listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones will be brought their next story of Suspense on Monday, December the 6th and each Monday thereafter at 9 p.m. Pacific Wartime. Don't forget Suspense on Thursdays, beginning December the 2nd, if you live in Eastern and Central Time Zones, and Mondays, beginning December the 6th, 
for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones with Cary Grant, our opening guest star. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. It's interesting. They would say wartime, Pacific wartime. Right. You know, and I've heard that before on these shows. Yeah, I have too. I have to confess, I don't know what they meant by that. You know, I mean, obviously you have central time, you have eastern time, you have Pacific time, you have mountain time, you have... Right. West Coast time, you know, you have a bunch of different times, but they would say war time. And I guess maybe it meant because we were in the war at that time. Well, so my research says in 1942, Congress implemented a law instating a national daylight saving time to help conserve fuel and promote national security and defense, which is why it was nicknamed wartime. Oh, maybe because they wanted you to turn your lights out or something Uh, like that? That time zone was known as Eastern Wartime, Pacific Wartime. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know much about it, though. Huh. Yeah, that's well, uh, this guy was saying that here at the end. Anyway, that's um, the strange death of Charles Umberstein. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Vincent Price in his first episode, a sustained broadcast. a couple of weeks later, or a few weeks later at least, Roma Wines would sign on. And you heard him talking about Cary Grant on the next episode. They were changing to a Monday time slot. Um, anyway, the greatest series, I believe, in the history of radio suspense. It was on 20, 21 years, ni- 1942 until 1962. So it's like 20-plus years. Nearly a 1,000 broadcasts, Lisa. And then it did make a transition to television in 1949. And uh, I had a hand in putting all of those out, all of those kinescopes out through my company years and years ago. I acquired um, maybe 100 or more kinescopes of suspense. Mm. CBS, I convinced CBS to let me do transfers of those. And they were like, you're crazy. Nobody's going to want to watch kinescopes because they're kind of tough to, to right. watch really and um you know they're um it's a film of the tv there was like a tv they would film the tv tube so it had like a curvature when you'd watch it so it wasn't the greatest quality but i said look people want to see that and they want to see yeah i sold a lot of them people wanted to see suspense tv and so um i put out three box sets of suspense on kinescope years ago. And I think you could still get them on Amazon or somewhere. I don't know. But <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, they were cool. I mean, even Sorry Wrong no- I don't know. Sorry Wrong Number wasn't done. But uh, On a Country Road was done. on. Uh, so a lot of the radio shows they made at Trans... I don't think Sorry Wrong Number was ever done on television, though. That's weird, right? Yeah. You would think that they would have. Right, Such a famous... All right, anyway, this time in uh, this month in music history. Right, this time, this month, 1991. It's wartime. Wartime, this time, 1991. What is this? Um, this is Walking in Memphis. Oh, Walking right? in Memphis. Composed and originally recorded by Mark Cohn. It's his signature song. Yeah. You know yeah. This is no, good. Song of the Year nomination at the Grammy Awards in 92. It awesome. Is a good song. 
All right, thanks, Lisa. Sure. All right, more of Hollywood 360 after this short break. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next hour, it's Mr. Chameleon, good detective uh, adventure. But we're going to start things off with Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, the music edition, right, Lisa? That's right. And just to make things exciting, I chose some holiday songs for today. Holiday? Holiday. We're past the holidays. That's okay. It'll be all right. All right. We'll see you in our next (laughs) hour. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.